Welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I am Sheila Ray Gregoire from ToLoveHonorAndVacuum.com and I am here with my daughter Rebecca Lindenbach. Hello. And today, as always, we are going to try to give you healthy, evidence-based, biblical advice for your marriage and your sex life because that's just the kind of weird mother-daughter pair that we are. Yep. Totally normal. Okay. This month, in October, we are doing marriage on hard mode. Well, yes, we're, we're, we're trying to help you not do marriage That's on hard right. Mode. That's actually the, op- the opposite of what we're doing. We're trying to not do marriage on Exactly. And um, I have a concept that I want to share with you as we yes. are beginning this podcast. For context, my favorite subject, even though I did not do a degree in it, was economics. My problem was I took Economics 101 like three times because <laughs> I took it in my senior year of high school and then I took it in first year university and it was basically the same course. We even used the same textbook. Yeah. So like I had already done it and they made me take it again. We don't have, we didn't have like the equivalent of AP testing no. where you can get out of stuff in Canada. Like we didn't have that back then. I don't even know if I we, have, we it don't have it now. We don't yeah. have it now. So I took this thing twice. And then when I did my master's in public administration, we had to take an introductory economics, economics. course. <laughs> and so I did the same thing. So I've done the same course three times. Plus I think I did an upper level one as well in undergrad. But anyway, I love economics. And one of the key things that you learn in economics is the concept of supply and demand. Yes. And I am going to have Katie, for those of you who are watching on YouTube, you will see pretty little graphs coming on the screen. Katie, Katie did it, um, started an accounting degree, so she did economics as well. You made me do economics, even though I did a psychology degree with an English minor for a while, and I yes. still had to do economics because mom likes economics that much. And That's I still right. consider that one of the greatest injustices of my life. Yes. Okay. But we want to talk about how supply, concept of supply and demand can affect us when you're talking about doing marriage on hard mode. Yes. And here, here's the idea behind economics. Okay, everybody. When stuff is expensive, people want less of it. <laughs> yeah, well, they can afford less of it. Right. And when stuff is cheap, people can afford a lot of it. And so yeah. they're going to want a lot of it. So if you think about a demand curve with the price on one side and the amount on the other, you start at the top where the price is high and the amount is really low, <laughs> and then it goes down. Okay, so they're gonna want a lot when it's cheap. Now, what about the people who are supplying the thing? Mm-hmm. The people who are supplying the thing are not gonna wanna supply very much if the price is really cheap. But if the price is high, they're gonna wanna give you a lot. And yeah. so the demand and supply operate opposite from one another, and you get an X. Yeah. <laughs> and wherever they, they intersect, that's what the price of something is. Okay? Yeah, we've all seen those online courses where it's like, you know, uh, take my wellness course. It's only $1,700, and it's five days of me, and, like, no one buys it. Yeah. <laughs> because the demand just isn't there for a $1,700 course on some 19-year-old telling you, you know, how to be one with nature. Right. So, (laughs) exactly, exactly. It's too expensive. So here's what I want us to think. Now, when when we're talking about supply, and I want to concentrate on supply today, how much is supplied is largely dependent on the cost of what goes into making that thing. So Mm -hmm. let's think about ice cream. If I'm going to make ice cream, and let's say that I figured out you know, all of the prices of everything. And so I know that I can supply a certain amount of ice cream at each, you know, whatever price is available on the market. What happens if milk doubles in price? Yeah. Shoot. 
Well, now I'm not going to be able to supply as much at each price point, and so my supply curve is actually going to shift. And Katie's going to show you what that looks like if you're watching on YouTube. <laughs> and so now the X is in a different position. And so now because my milk got more expensive, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to give you as much ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> and the price is going to go up, and the amount is going to go down. So what we're trying to say is, are there things that go into sex that might become more expensive, which means that you get less sex. So let's talk. <laughs> Sorry, I had to sneeze. So let's talk about some of the things that impact the price of sex, like the inputs In that go into how much sex can be supplied. And sleep. <laughs> Sleep's yeah. a big one. <laughs> yeah, or just rest in general, you yeah. know? Like what happens if you both have really physically demanding jobs? Mm-hmm. You know? Then it's going to be harder to supply sex at each of those things because you're just it it you're just tired you're just tired. Or what happens if um if you're just really not having any time to emotionally connect, mm-hmm. right? Like then yeah, it's just going to be harder. What happens if there are kids sleeping in bed with you? Yeah, or you have like a you have a, a newborn or a kid under the age of six months who's in a bassinet right beside the bed. Yeah, it's like it's going to get harder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Like the inputs that that go into sex, because if you think about it, in order to have sex, you need to feel emotionally close. You need to have a place to have sex. You need to have energy to have sex. (laughs) You need to have the time to have sex. You need to feel well enough to To have have sex. sex. So like, you know, have chronic pain taken care of, those sorts of things. And remember, all these things, even if everything's like working against you, you still might have sex every now and then. We're not Mm -hmm. saying that if you're doing it more difficult, you're never going to have sex. Right. It's just that it makes it more difficult to do so yeah and so it's probably going to happen less often than if those barriers were out of the way so when we're thinking about doing sex on hard mode (laughs) we need to ask if all of these things go into how much sex we're going to have how can i make each of those things easier (laughs) so like how can i bring the cost of each of those things down so the supply can stay up so (laughs) so like you know sleep what would happen if you could actually get your kids going to bed at a decent time without yeah. a lot of fights? Like, like if your bedtime routine went from taking like an hour and a half of like, kids running rangy and calling out for water and crying and coming out of their bedroom and you having to put them back in eight times. Um, to like 35 minutes of snuggles and bedtimes and kisses and prayers goodnight. Mm-hmm. And we're not saying that's an easy thing. No, no, no. No, like it might take like a couple of weeks of of really hard work and you might not even know where to begin. And that's where getting some expertise um, might help looking online, how to help your kids sleep, whatever. Um, But, you know, that can be an incredibly good thing to do because that's going to (laughs) impact how tired you are. How tired you are. And that's going to be part of doing sex on hard mode. Or what if you're living a life, and, and I was talking about this a little bit on the blog this week, where sometimes we can get, get living a life that is unsustainable in the long term. Mm-hmm. It makes sense in the short term. It could, or it could seem like it makes sense in the short term, but in the long term, it just, it just isn't going to work. And one of the classic examples is overlapping shift work, mm-hmm. right? You know, like you want someone to be there for the kids. You don't want daycare. You don't want to have to get babysitters. And so you do sort of overlapping shifts where 
someone's working at night, someone's working during the day or afternoon shifts. And, and I've known a lot of couples who have done that. Um, I think about one couple where, you know, he worked all day and then she was a waitress and so she worked in the evening. So she looked after the kids during the day. He took the kids in the evening and put them to bed, but then they hardly had any time together. Mm-hmm. And so it works out really great for the kids, but it doesn't work really well for the couple. And again, like that's not saying you shouldn't do that. Like if no. that's what works and a lot of people don't have a choice, like mm-hmm. you're, that's how you're making ends meet. Mm-hmm. But you have to recognize that like, you know, especially if you're the higher drive spouse, yeah. and you're in a lifestyle where that's your reality, then we kind of have to face reality where that just means that probably you're going to have less sex because of that. And yeah, it's unfair. Yeah. It's unfair if you both can't get jobs that, yeah. you know, pay the bills and have the right hours. Yeah. That's just unfair. Yeah. But it also means that you don't get to be resentful of your spouse not putting yeah. out as much yeah. because it's more difficult. Yeah. And like, I do want to say to people in that situation, like, you do what you got to do. Yeah. You really do. You do what you got to do. Yeah. But if there's any way that you can make a five-year plan, yeah. that maybe you wouldn't have to do this forever. <laughs> like that And by it, the way, yeah. like you don't need to be the one to make that five-year plan. There are like, especially a lot of big churches or like community centers mm-hmm. um, have often even free career coaching days yeah. throughout the year. Mm-hmm. And there's people who know this stuff really, really well. So anyway, that's just a little side tangent, but yeah. like, well, we're not, we're not saying the, just find a better job because like, obviously that's no. not. Like, <laughs> yeah. And that, that, that is most visible. And, some, and sometimes it's not even about jobs. Sometimes the season no. that you're going through is like, you're doing a four-year university course. Exactly. And, or you're in med school. I mean, I I got married when my husband was in residency. He literally, he literally worked 110 hours a week. Yeah. Because he would be on call for 36 hours and home for 12. Yep. You know, all through, like, it was awful. <laughs> and he was barely sleeping. Yeah, they don't do residency like that anymore. No, you're actually, it's actually not, you're not allowed to anymore. Like, yeah, yeah they, it was, I think his last year, of, the next year coming into residency after he left, the rules changed and he missed it's like, it. That's so unfair. <laughs> but, oh, gosh. um, you know, like, like there are seasons where we go through these things, but as yeah. much as possible and as much as you have any control over those seasons, ask yourself, mm-hmm. can I change the inputs? Because often what we're focusing on is how do I have more sex? Mm-hmm. And instead, I just want us to do this mind shift and, and ask ourselves, okay, wait, what things contribute to making sex easier to have? And maybe the issue isn't trying to have more sex, but trying to fix those conditions. And in 31 Days to Great Sex, in my book, 31 Days to Great Sex, I think it's day um, day 27 is about how to keep the momentum going after you've done this. And, and I've actually got... The economics graphs. I've actually got the economics graphs there. You know? <laughs> and then there's 14 questions that you can ask yourself and rate, you know, and rate, like, are these things impacting the cost of sex in your marriage? And a lot of them are just, you know, let me just go through them all. Like, we have a physical place to make love. Yes. <laughs> like, that's a big one. Like, are there kids in your bed? Is or is there... like the bedroom, is the, is the bedroom such a disaster? Like, is, do we always put laundry directly on the bed? Yeah. Um, instead of like just, you know, even on, I mean, you don't have like, none of us are the kinds of people who fold laundry the same day that it comes out of the dryer. So no shame there. I'm pretty sure Katie does. 
Oh gosh, Katie. <laughs> we love you so much. But why? Like, actually, your dad does. Your dad started doing the laundry and he uh, Okay, it's all it's all of the sensing types in our family. Yeah, your anyway. dad's really good at that. All the Myers Briggs S types in our family all fold laundry immediately. The rest of us are just like, yeah, chair will work, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like it's just these little things. Or is is it just are you just adding extra barriers to get over? Do you have to move the piles of socks? Yeah, or when you walk into your bedroom, do you feel exhausted because it's a mess? Yeah. So does it bring your mood down? Things like, I enjoy my spouse's scent. Okay. Like, seriously. <laughs> Great mood killer is like bad breath or BO. And if, 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 you know, maybe one of the ways that we could increase sex is by dealing with yeah. <laughs> that, you know, having trust in your marriage, feeling good about your body, having physical energy, all mm-hmm. of these things really matter. And so it's just a fun exercise to do. Um, 31 days to great sex. We've been talking a lot about the great sex rescue. We love the great sex rescue. Becca wants you to buy the Great Sex Rescue. Yes. She gets royalties for that. She does not get royalties for the, for 31 Days to Great Sex. But um, if you've read the Great Sex Rescue and you want to move forward now, you've figured out all the mm-hmm. messages that you need to get rid of, 31 Days to Great Sex is a great one to do yes. next to start putting it all into practice. Yeah, it's much so more practical. Yeah, much more practical, fun. And, and again, I always like to say it's 31 Days to Great Sex, not 31 Days of great sex. <laughs> I am not saying anyone has to have sex for 31 no days No one straight. needs to end this chase. <laughs> no. <laughs> no blisters anywhere. <laughs> no anything like that. Next bit about doing marriage on hard mode uh-huh. is I want to, and this one's going to be a little bit more serious. I want to talk about the misconceptions and the, the problems with the way that we often talk about porn and sex and how we often equate the two. Um, because we've seen a lot of stuff online right now. There's, there's a couple of big debates going on right now, um, that I think are muddying the waters. And so we would like to sort of unmuddy those waters. But before we do that, we have a funny story. Yeah. Joanna, who is our wonderful stats person, who isn't on the podcast very often because she's home alone with two babies and it's just really hard to get her where there is not, well, not two babies, a toddler and a baby, where there is not someone in the background calling for mommy. And and she's also up in Iqaluit in Nunavut, which is one of the Canadian territories way up in the Arctic. Her husband works for the Nunavut government. Joanna is on our Unfiltered podcast for the patron group quite frequently. She and I are the ones who run our book club podcast. So she, if you, if you want more Joanna, join our patron. Yes, because she's quite funny. And, and by the way, our patron, which I should mention as well, we love our patrons. They are people who give around $5 or so a month to support getting our research out there into new channels, whether it's academic journals or new social media channels. The money does not go to me. It goes to Rebecca and Joanna to increase the dissemination of our research. And we have a really fun Facebook group that's very active, way more active than my Facebook page. We get really real there. Um, and you can see us unfiltered. And yeah, we just really appreciate your support because we, there's no way for us to monetize getting our stuff into academic journals. So thank you. We will put the link to our patron in um, the podcast notes. And along with that, just one more announcement. We would love it if you would join our email list because mm-hmm. we know you guys love listening to the podcast and we're so grateful for that. But we do so much more on the blog as well. And if you join our email list, we can send you our blog highlights and then you can see if there's any posts that you would like to read. So we will put a link to how you can subscribe to our email list in um, the, the podcast notes as well. Okay, so with all that being said, Joanna is our stats person and she likes, she runs all of our numbers from all our different surveys that we did. And we phoned her this week and we said, Joanna, here's what we want to know. (laughs) So let's say that a guy is using porn. 
on a regular basis. Okay, so this isn't something that's intermittent. It's not that he's doing binges. Like, he is using porn on a regular basis. Yeah, it's not like he's in recovery and then he slips up every now and then. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like, no, like, he is still in the throes of Mm -hmm. a bad porn habit or porn addiction. Right. So here he is. He's using porn a lot. How likely is it that he's actually going to also be a good lover? So is he going to do enough foreplay? Is his wife going to reach orgasm? Is his wife going to become aroused? Yeah. Will they feel emotionally close during sex? All those sorts of things. So we said, how likely is it? And are they still going to have sex like, you know, at least once every two weeks? So she ran the numbers (laughs) and it's only 20%. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's, it's way lower. Only one in five. It's only one in five. Okay. Mm -hmm. So only 20% of porn users are actually good lovers in their marriage. And that's important to know because often it's implied that the reason that he's watching porn is because, you know, she's turning him down and she's really, she really doesn't like sex, but it, it, it looks like it could actually be more likely the other direction. Yeah. Where that, she doesn't really enjoy sex because he's not taking her needs um, as his first yeah, priority. And he's being quite selfish. Yeah. Okay. Now here's the funny part. Because <laughs> I know that's serious and we're going to get serious again in a minute, but we just, we just were killing ourselves laughing at this earlier, but um, because Joanna needs to talk and tell us stuff when there are little kids around and her young, her, her oldest daughter started talking at like one and a half. Well, and, and her youngest is already talking, like, yeah, her, her youngest kids are really advanced in speech. And oh so my you do goodness. Not, and we always, we're saying words like sex, orgasm, erection, around, you know, yeah. all these things. And you don't want your kids Vulva, to say that. clitoris, foreplay. So we like... had to figure out codes a very long time ago. And so we have these codes. So like paying your taxes is having sex, paying off your mortgage. Yeah, and the reason that an that's orgasm. our code. And the funny thing is the reason that's our code is my husband overheard me and Joanna trying to plan out a code. We were like, what if we made like orangutan, like orgasm? Because, yeah. oh, right? Yeah. And Connor's like, you cannot do that. What toddler is not going to perk up her ears and mummy and like her friend are talking about orangutans and baboons and like you can't use anything that kids think is interesting you have to go for the adult conversation right like you have to go for taxes mortgage financial papers like so 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 we have this you know if they're paying their taxes frequently if she's ever paid off her mortgage which is an orgasm obviously yeah Yeah. and and then today she was trying to figure out how to say watching porn watching porn and masturbating to it and yeah and 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 does he do enough foreplay and so we just got a lot of other ones that just started coming out so you know we we have foreplay as is is she prepping her paperwork are they prepping are they prepping their paperwork Um, is she getting aroused or is she ready to file her taxes is she she getting ready to file um is he what if he watches porn that's using quickbooks (laughs) so so we had this whole conversation if a guy is using QuickBooks, he is far less likely to prep the paperwork. <laughs> yeah. she, she, she is not likely to be ready to file her taxes, and it's incredibly unlikely she's ever going to pay off her mortgage. And they just do not pay their taxes very often. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so there you go. Those are the kind of conversations we have. Yeah. So here's the issue that we were facing, is that for those of you who follow me on Instagram... <laughs> I ran a really weird poll out of nowhere this week. Yeah. (laughs) And I wanted to get to the bottom of this and I couldn't give away too much information before I asked the question. And so then I tried to clarify on subsequent screens and I think people thought I was being bad. But I was was saying, here's the situation. Your husband comes to you and wants sexual release. Going without is not an option for whatever reason. He's been struggling with porn. And so would you rather that he just go masturbate or that you give him a handjob? Mm-hmm. Okay, so assuming sex is out of the question, would you rather 
that he could go masturbate or you give him a hand job. And people really did not know what to answer. Yeah. The, it, it ended up being 43% said masturbate and 57% hand job. So it was, it was pretty split. Yeah. It was, it was a pretty even split, you know, with a slight, slightly higher for give him a hand job. But the, but even the people who said hand job, I had so many messages. I spent six hours on Sunday replying to direct messages because most people were saying neither. I don't want either. And that's what I put on follow-up screens is that to me, the, the correct answer is neither. Yeah. <laughs> You know, because she doesn't want to feel objectified. Yeah. But what's been happening, um, and I've seen this conversation going on, is men who are quitting porn think that they are doing their wives and they're being really honorable by saying, I promise I'm only going to ever ejaculate with you. Mm-hmm. And so I will never ejaculate alone. And so then when they feel this buildup and this, they want sexual release, they come to their wives And if their wives aren't able to have sex for whatever reason or don't want to have full-blown intercourse for whatever reason, so they don't want to do something mutual for whatever reason or can't, then they want a hand job or oral sex or something like that. Or as many of the women said in your messages, they want their wife to just watch while he masturbates. Yes, he's fine if she's there in the room while he masturbates and, and that's okay to him. And I have so many thoughts. So very many thoughts. First of all, it's like, you know, who doesn't want to just be a ejaculation vending machine? Just so very icky. It's and, so gross. And the problem here, there's, there's many problems, but I want to delve into the main one, is that we aren't addressing the fact that porn actually changes your view of sex and your view of women. Mm-hmm. And the issue is not that you have to train yourself to associate the oxytocin release with your wife again instead of with porn. And so therefore, the more you masturbate in her presence or the more she gives you a hand job, the more you associate it with her instead of porn. And isn't this a great thing? The issue is learning how not to objectify your wife. And that is not something that she can help you do by giving you sex Mm -hmm. because Sex and porn are not the same thing. Yeah, and if you're having sex with your wife from a pornified mindset, which, by the way, is, well, why don't you just lie there while I masturbate then? Yeah. Or why don't you just give me a hand job so that I don't have to feel like I want sex anymore? That is an objectifying view of your wife. Yeah. And um, I, I did have, like, a few women say, you know what, if, like, in our marriage, porn isn't involved, and if my husband's really desperate, I don't mind giving him a hand job. And that's yeah, like, great. Like, yeah, we are not speaking against that, okay? Yeah. <laughs> we are nope. not speaking. We're talking about the women who are, in essence, yeah. held hostage. Like, giving a gift, super fun. We're going to be talking in October about sexual confidence and how sometimes, like, doing these one-sided things for each other can actually really boost your confidence and can be fun and arousing, et cetera, et cetera, okay? If it's done in that mode. <laughs> But when there's this expectation that because he feels sexual frustration, he needs sexual release, and because he has promised that he isn't going to get that sexual release by himself, that he is now putting that on her. Yeah, so it's like either you're going to do this or I'm going to have no choice but go do it by myself. And even if he says, like, you know what, I'm okay if you say no or, like, I'm not going to pressure you, Framing it in that way, I'm only going to ejaculate with you, 
just puts the pressure on her. And it's it's not a healthy way of looking at sex. So we're actually, I'm going to bring Andrew Bauman on to explain this for a minute yeah. about what the pornified view of sex is. And then we're going to come back and we're going to keep this conversation going. So I've got another expert on the podcast. I have Andrew Bauman on. And Andrew, I'm going to let you introduce yourself because I'm going to get it wrong. Oh, yes. People butcher my last name often. Um, so yes, my name is Andrew Ballman and uh, yep, founder, director of the Christian Counseling Center for Sexual Health and Trauma. Yeah, we're kind of on the intersections of abuse and sexual addiction. Sexual abuse is, is kind of my, my And thing. you were like, you were like one of my go-to people <laughs> for like, if you need help with porn or understanding the effects of porn, I'm, I'm constantly sending people, go see Andrew, mm, go see you. Andrew, read The Sexually mm-hmm. Healthy Man. Go check out his yes. blog. And I've had you Thank on you. to answer some questions. So I thought, you know what? Yes. I'm just going to get Andrew back on just for a couple of minutes to explain to us what porn or how porn affects the way you relate to other people, especially yes. your wife. Yes. So so I discovered this and what, what I call the pornographic style of relating. I discovered it because of myself, my own 13-year addiction to pornography. And as I began to grow up, and, you know, I started around 13 as the internet kind of became a thing. As I realized, as I grew up early 20s, I realized, whoa, I'm having a really difficult time keeping relationships. I'm having a really difficult time actually going deep and having genuine intimacy and connection. My style of relating is really beginning to mirror how I've engaged pornography. And so when pornography becomes your primary teacher or guide, you develop what I call a pornographic style of relating. We relate to the world. We relate to our relationships in a very similar way to, to porn. Um, so a few examples. My, when I live out of uh, what I call a PSR, pornographic style of relating, I tend to objectify beauty rather than honor beauty, mm-hmm. right? Because I've been, I've been taught to devour. I've been taught um, a quick way to satisfy quick way to reach climax rather than in in genuine relating genuine intimacy it's a slow gradual build right it's it's a it's a depth of intimacy that's not just sexual it's emotional connection intellectual connection spiritual connection it's it's the holistic view rather than just this very limited view and so um, there's quite a few different categories you can find it in my book um, the psychology of porn or on my website i think you'll provide the link um, but what are you know all the different categories of what makes us relate pornographically? So if you have a history of porn, most likely you do it and you don't even know you do it. Your wife probably feels it and how you relate to her sexually, um, because a lot of times you'll you know, unconsciously a lot of times because you don't know you're doing it. Who wants to mm-hmm. treat their wife that they love like a porn star or like a? And yet we project that unconsciously onto our marriage bed all the time, unless you've done this work to detangle your pornographic style of relating in your pornographic mindset. And how much does entitlement play into that? Yeah, I think it's huge. I mean, I think that is one of the, and I don't even remember if I wrote that, but like that is huge because when I think about me going to porn, right, I get to choose what I want. Any, anything I want, oh, I'm interested in this, click, 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 boom, I'm in, that doesn't work in the real life. Like in the real world, you have another partner who actually has their own desires, right? Their own sexual needs. But in porn, I'm taught to be selfish. And I, I feel entitled to get what I want when I want it, rather than 
actually mutuality, um, shared pleasure, giving and receiving pleasure. Like it creates an innate selfishness. Um, pornography taught me an, a, a, that selfishness and sexuality that I had to unlearn in a healthy marriage. So when someone tells you, okay, Andrew, all I really need to get over my porn use is just for my wife to have sex more. Like I've stopped mm -hmm. using porn, but I'm going to go back <laughs> to it because I still feel really tempted. And so That's the only gross. way for me not to go back to it is yes. if my wife has more sex with me. What, yes. what would your I, response be to that? I hear that all the time. And I hear it from people who either are using porn and about to get married or, but they realize very quickly um, how that's not the case. You could literally have sex 24 hours a day with your wife. It does not matter. That's not, you missed the whole point. Mm -hmm. The whole point is that you devour beauty. You have to change your relationship with beauty. You have to change your relationship um, with sex because it does not give you what you're going to, to it for, if that makes sense. Many times we go to sex to affirm us to deal with our insecurities, to deal with our woundedness. And that's not going to work. Um, that's just not going to work. It's not going to heal at the end of the day. And so I don't care if your wife has sex with you all the time. It actually is not going to matter if you're not dealing with the root causes of why you're sexually acting out. Right. And so your wife cannot heal your temptation towards porn. You've got to get rid of this mm -hmm. pornographic style of relating before... Exactly things yep. can even get better. Exactly. Yep. And deal with the core wounds that are causing, because so many times our wounds come out in our sexuality, you know, our, our, our woundedness, we sexualize our wounds. And so we've got to deal with what's, what's causing me, what type of pornography am I looking at? Why am I drawn to this type instead of this type? Right. Well, it's all connected to our story. It's all connected to our wounds. Will you get in touch with your wounding? Will you get in touch with your grief? Will you begin to let go of what you're sexualizing? Yeah. And, and you know, again, your wife can be support. Like that's a great help, but she's not, that's your issue, not hers. Yeah. You know, I, I, I quoted some stuff from your book, the sexually healthy man in our upcoming book, the good guy's guide to great sex. Just when you talked about how mm. to be vulnerable and how to let your wife see your wounds, I just thought it was so profound. Yeah. Mm, thank but, you. um, you know, I've also heard people say that Paul wrote, it's better to marry than to burn. And so one of the reasons that you should get married is so that someone is there to help you, mm. um, with your sexual desires. But the problem is if you have that pornographic style of relating, the yes. way that you're burning is not the way Paul meant. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, correct. Correct. And you're going to, without doing this work of detangling, you're going to project that onto your partner all the time, mm -hmm. you know, and you're going to look to her as a porn star. I guarantee your wife does not want to be your porn star. She wants to be your partner, your mm -hmm. equal, right. And mutually pleasure back and forth, giving and taking love, right? Like right. giving in, in each other. There's a mutuality there. So why do you think people don't understand this? Why do you think that people mm -hmm. see, think that, that the desire for porn can be overcome by the wife yeah. just giving sex? Why do you think people well, don't understand their opposites? I think you have to have the lens of, of patriarchy, sexism, right? Like where do these messages come from? So many times, right? If it's true that over 50% of pastors are using pornography, like that's where most likely a lot of these toxic messages are coming from. And some of the research that I'm doing now on sexism and what women have experienced in evangelical ministry, um, like that's, I think where it's coming from. It's coming from dudes who are like, oh, if I just had more sex, 
we all want to escape our own responsibility mm-hmm. rather than it's like, no, it actually starts with me. I have to own my toxic sexual relationship, my own shame. I used to devour women. I, I used to objectify women. That sucks. That hurts. I have to own that, grieve that rather than, wouldn't it be so much easier just to blame the, the woman with a, a mini skirt or a low cut blouse? Like, I just want to project, I want to get it away from me and just blame it on somebody else. Blame it on my wife for not giving me sex as much as I want. It's so much easier to push it away, project it onto others than to own my own grief and feel the weight of my own sin. Right. So if people want to go deeper with this, um, your book, Psychology Important, is that the best place to start? Yeah, that's, that's a good kind of the first kind of intro um, you know, book, Psychology of Porn, check out my website, andrewjbauman.com. Um, also, we do intensives, both individual marriage intensive groups, do a lot of groups, um, all kind of running all the time, East Coast, West Coast, and the awesome. United States. So, and, yeah. and I will also put a link to your article on the different elements of the pornographic style of relating because mm-hmm. I found it really interesting. So thank you so yeah. much for joining us, Andrew. We love awesome. you. I love having thank you on. You. So thanks. Thank so you much. so much for having me. Appreciate it. <laughs> I could have listened to Andrew go on. And honestly, when we, when we originally brought him on and I recorded that, we were expecting to do a different podcast today. And I didn't think there'd be a lot of time to talk to Andrew. So I want to have him back on for an entire podcast where he can go over all of the elements of um, a pornified style of relating. But please check out that post. Um, I, I Again, there is an, a link in our podcast notes to his post because it is really good about the different ways that the pornified style of relating does affect how men approach their wives. And it can it can affect women too. It's just that in the conversation that's been going on on the internet right now, in the Christian marriage sphere, it's really been about a man's porn use. But again, women can use porn too and can, all, can also get into this. So it could go either way. But here's what we need to understand and what Andrew was trying to bring out is that the pornified style of relating usually predates the marriage. And so you get married with this style of relating to your wife, where she is an object that you use, where you devour beauty, it's entitlement, it's about getting your needs met. And that can actually create betrayal trauma. Multiple studies have found that women, even women who don't know that their husbands use porn, can actually have betrayal trauma because of the way that their husbands are treating them, even if they can't put a word to it. So I'm going to put a link in the podcast notes to an amazing book that Sarah McDougall recommended to me recently, um, where a woman, she just did so much research into the effects of betrayal trauma on women and how that can even um, affect autoimmune disorders. They have higher rates of migraines, higher rates of all kinds of issues, even if you don't know he's using porn. Mm -hmm. And then when he does go, let's say that something happens and and he confesses his porn use and mm-hmm. he wants to get better. Mm-hmm. At that point, the responsibility for him getting better is on him. Oh, it's always on him. Yeah. yeah. It's not on her. She doesn't get to get help him get better. She doesn't need like what? Because the issue is not a marriage, one. a marriage issue. Well, the issue is his pornified style of relating with her. Yeah. Because if, if like, and again, I know this is, this is kind of, mean but like if she dropped dead the very next day he is still biblically mandated to stop using pornography yeah right so it's yeah. it's not about her right you know she doesn't need to be a therapeutic tool for him mm-hmm. because he needs to figure this out on his own and if you're using your wife as a therapeutic tool to get over your porn addiction 
It's it's just not fair. And also, it means that likely... I mean, and this is the problem we have with every man's battle. It's yeah. not that you're actually dealing with the addiction. It's that you're sublimating the addiction into an appropriate source. Yes. Right? You just simply... And, and that's what it actually says in every man's battle, is that you transfer your sexual desire, mm-hmm. your sexual uh, uh, attention from women everywhere or from porn, and you put it onto your wife. So the goal, instead of objectifying every woman, it's is to only objectify, objectify one woman. your wife. Yeah. And that is not... Right. And that's why the issue with porn recovery needs to be first and foremost, not about the marriage recovery, although that does need to be taken care of, totally, but about changing how he relates to, his, to, to himself yeah. and getting in touch with his wounds, getting in touch with his shame. The trauma too. Getting in touch with his own trauma. So many guys started watching porn when they were 10. That's oh a traumatic, gosh. like a lot of porn is, is, is rooted in trauma responses. I mean, for Pete's sake. Yeah. Like, I mean, we all know there's so many studies that have shown that, you know, victims of sexual abuse are more likely to be really sexually promiscuous. Yeah. Because like, they're trying to take, like it, it's when you as a child are exposed to something you never should have been exposed to. Yeah. Sometimes your brain has really, really negative ways of trying to cope with that and control it. Mm-hmm. And that's not like your fault in the same way. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's that's yeah. just like, you know what? Yeah, that was really unfair. Yeah, like and your brain was just trying to survive however it can. And when you are a 10, 11, 12-year-old boy who is exposed to pornography. Or girl. Or yeah. girl, yeah. But yeah, we're just always, the, these yeah. books are all about husbands, right? So, right. Yeah. But if you're a child, a mm-hmm. literal child who doesn't have chest air or hasn't gotten her first period yet. Yeah. And you're exposed to this kind of horrible sexual graphic violence, or even if it isn't violent, just mm-hmm. sexual stuff. Yeah. That is really traumatic. And yeah. does it is it surprising that your brain might have created really negative coping strategies and negative ways of dealing with this mm-hmm. when it is a trauma response? And to put this into context, I know in Canada, and I assume in most of the states, it's actually illegal to show porn to children. Yeah. It's a form of child abuse. Yeah. Because that's how serious this is. Yep. And so we need to understand that if a, if a child sees porn, that child has been abused. Yep. Now, they may have come across porn by accident. Not, they, they may not necessarily have an abuser, depending yep. on how they saw the porn, um, but they have been abused. And, and that is going to impact them it's going to impact how they see the world it's going to impact their own shame their own view of god it's going to impact how they relate to other people and the problem is when those wounds don't get healed and they get married they transfer a lot of that wound and that trauma onto their wife and they create trauma in her so even though you need to feel sorry for that 10 year old boy That doesn't detract from the fact that he's hurting his wife now. Exactly. You know, we we know that when we go through traumatic things, when we're hurt by people or by other things, we're more likely to hurt other people out of mm-hmm. our own brokenness, right? And that doesn't mean that you're not responsible. But yeah. it does mean that you need to recognize that the answer is not because your spouse is not putting out enough. The answer is not that mm-hmm. your spouse just needs to get with the program. The yeah. answer is not that you just need to use your spouse instead of using pornography. The yeah. answer is there's something deeper going on that you need to deal with because you're going to be a better person, a more whole person, a more healthy person, and someone who is better equipped to serve God, to serve their family, and to serve their community as a result. And that's why when we're talking about porn recovery, we cannot do it without talking about two things. Changing the pornified style of relating, which requires 
him dealing with his own stuff, him learning how to be vulnerable, him learning how to talk about his own wounds. Learning where the emotional kind of development probably stagnated because of this new crutch that was... Because what a lot of men do and a lot of porn users do is they sexualize a lot of their emotions and a lot of their negative emotions. So instead of feeling loneliness, instead of feeling rejection, instead of allowing themselves to feel boredom, it comes out as I need sexual release. Mm-hmm. And so they end up objectifying others to deal with their own negative emotions. And so yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to completely separate those things and to see sex as something which is intimate and life-giving rather than something which I do in order to soothe myself and gratify myself. You cannot talk about porn recovery without talking about changing this pornified style of relating and also without talking about betrayal trauma and how that's affected her. And that's what I saw on Instagram last weekend. Yep. Like the women, who were talking like I really I don't want to do either and you know a lot of women were saying I mean I guess I would give him a hand job because I hate the fact that if he would go and masturbate I know he'd be thinking about porn and at least if I'm giving a hand job he's uh, he's thinking about me but I can't imagine anything so icky yep like I can't imagine like that's just it makes me feel terrible yep And, and so we need to stop this idea that as long as he is transferring his sexual attention to his wife, as long as he promises, I'll only ever ejaculate with you, that that is somehow okay. That is a good thing to promise once he's dealt with the pornified style of relating and once he's dealt with... frankly, you promised it on your wedding day. Yeah, exactly. Why do you need to, why do you need to even like outright say Well, I mean, okay, I'll only ever, you know... Okay, there's, there's, there's... there's there's Masturbation is a really gray area, especially if you're like long distance sometimes or I I don't know. Or she's got vaginismus or dealing with sexual trauma and she's in a three month counseling thing and he Mm, just doesn't want to I don't know we're not but what we're saying though is like you don't ever get to use porn yeah. That's what we're saying. Because like when they yeah. say I'm, I'm only going to ejaculate with you, what they mean is I'm only going to ejaculate to the thought of you. Yeah. Too, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's like you were only ever supposed to do that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that, was, that was only ever kind of what Yeah, that's kind of what you were already promised. And so let's please stop talking about this in these ways because it is incredibly, incredibly icky to women. It's dehumanizing It's too. Women do not want to be objectified. And when we talk about it that way, isn't this wonderful? I'm only ever going to ejaculate with you. Well, no, (laughs) if you're treating me like an object, that's worse. I would, you know, like, honestly, I would have chosen masturbate in that situation. I would rather not know about it than that I have to sit there and be used like an object. And so please let's, let's deal frankly with this idea that not all sex is equal, Mm -hmm. not all intercourse is equal. And this is what we tried to say in the great sex rescue over and over and over again. Sex is something which is intimate, something which is mutual and something which is pleasurable for both. When we are talking about sex as something which is simply giving him sexual release so that he doesn't sin, that doesn't count. No. Now, does that mean that there's not room to give to each other generously in marriage? Of course not. Yes, we're supposed to give to each other generously in marriage. Sex should be something which is amazing. Um, And as we've said repeatedly, when she frequently orgasms, when she feels emotionally close to him, when they have high marital satisfaction, when there's not sexual dysfunction, and when he doesn't watch porn, the frequency by and large takes care of itself. So instead of telling the lower drive spouse, you need to have more sex. What we're saying is concentrate on those five other issues. Yeah. And you know what? I know there's likely people who are listening to this podcast who have hidden sexual sin. Yeah. Right. Who are mm-hmm. watching porn and who haven't told their wife or their yeah. husband and they're super stressed out and they're like, am I going to make it so much worse if I tell them? No, you're not. Yeah. You know, it's already happening. 
Um, like yeah. we said, like there are studies that show that frankly, your spouse is already being affected even if you, you haven't told them. Yes. yes. You know, people do have intuition about, about stuff, you know? Yeah. So do tell them like mm-hmm. do, because the longer that you wait, the worse it's going to get. Mm-hmm. But also when you do tell them, just, just be honest about this is how it started. This is what I have already thought about that I'm going to put into place so that I can get better. Mm-hmm. Here is what I want you to understand about, you know, how this doesn't, uh, this is nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. And I want to get better because I love you so much. And because I only want this to be about you, mm-hmm. this part of my life, you know, don't make it something where it's like, I'm really struggling here and I haven't told you. So you need to help me out. Yeah. You know, that's just yeah. what we're saying. Like, you know, do the research, go find a therapist who can help you work through, who works with sex addiction stuff, get something, uh, on your computer or your phone just to help you get rid of the, orig- the, the, the temptation. Um, talk to a friend who can be an accountability partner for you so that yeah. your wife is not your accountability partner or your, husband. or your husband is yeah. not your accountability partner, but do the work so that your spouse doesn't need to hear this big bombshell Mm-hmm. And then wonder, but then what does it mean? Like you can, you can say, here's my plan. Does this sound good to you? Mm-hmm. And then enact it. Yeah. You know? Oh, and I want to say one other thing. Okay. I'm sorry. I should have said this earlier, but I want to say one other thing. Often what happens is a couple will get married. He's been watching porn his whole life. He's not a good lover. He doesn't even realize he's not a good lover. She doesn't necessarily realize that he's not a good lover because she doesn't know what to expect either. And even if she's orgasming, there's still this this weird thing where she feels objectified even if she can't put her finger on it. And so her libido goes down. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will say, well, you know, the reason that, that I turned to porn and was because my wife wasn't giving me enough sex. And so it made it so much harder to withstand the porn. But the reason that she didn't want sex is because of what you did to her, even if she couldn't put it into words. Mm-hmm. And that's got, what people need to understand is we need to stop seeing her not giving sex as causing his porn use because it's quite likely that his porn use is what is causing her to not give sex in the first place yeah. because of the pornified view of, 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 of sex, because of how he's been treating her, even if she can't put her finger on it. And because he's just a bad lover and that doesn't mean she's not orgasming. It could just simply mean that she feels used. Mm-hmm. Um, and so please, can we have a richer conversation about this? Yep. And can we not blame women mm-hmm. <laughs> For his porn use, or him for her porn use, but see porn as its own issue that the porn user needs to deal with, deal with their own pornified view of sex, deal with the fact they've caused betrayal trauma, and then once they have done that, once they have been the one to rebuild trust, then we can build a great sex life. Yep. And you know what? You can talk to anyone who works in sexual addiction recovery. It's very possible. Yeah. You know, and, and, like, and actually that's some good news. I want to end on some good news. Yeah, let's talk be to really some good news. Good Guys Guide to Great Sex is coming out in February. Yep. Along with the updated, majorly revised Good Girls Guide to Great Sex for the 10th anniversary. The, the two companion books are coming out. Keith wrote The Good Guys Guide with me. We did an entire survey of men for it. Yeah. Some um, of you may have remembered that. Yeah. You may have been... And the good news is, and this is what our porn chapter says over and over again, is we need to not get catastrophic about this. Yes. Fewer guys use porn than we think. You know, we throw away, we throw out stats like 70% of men are using porn. No, they're really not. <laughs> and also remember that like, and, and you know, we, 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 our surveys do not have a representative sample. No, but, but it's externally validated because other surveys have found 
are that's very what I was about to say. Other surveys that's that what I was about similar to say. numbers. Um, Samuel Perry's did addicted to lust. Yep. Same same numbers of guys who did use porn in the past. When they got over porn, most of them had sex lives which were just about as comparable and good as those who never used porn. So yeah. it's not like it has to affect you your whole life. You can yeah. get over this. And the the amount that porn use affects you really depends on how much you used it and how young you were when you started. Like using it a little bit when you're 17 is not going to wreck your life forever. <laughs> and even using it compulsively for a lot of years, you can get over that. And so you just need to do the work. But you need to do the work and we need to not blame women and hold women responsible for fixing it. We have some encouragement just to end with. We always like mm-hmm. to end with encouragement. And, you know, our book has seen um, a bit of an Amazon spike again. So yes. a lot of people have been buying it this week. Please keep buying it. Send it to your pastor. Send it to your counselor. Send it, buy it as a newlywed present. Let's let's get rid of all these negative messages about sex and start forward with new biblical ones. And yes. uh, you have some encouragement to read. Yes, let's read this. And it's great. It's from a therapist, too. So many therapists are loving our book. And that's, yeah. we just love that because yeah. they all want evidence-based stuff, right? Yes. So yes. Okay, so here's what she says this evidence-based book echoes what clients bring up to me in session there is so much shame coming out of the purity culture of the 90s and early knots sheila does a great job of laying so do you i know they always say it's just me but you were my great co-author yes so is joanna so is joanna yes (laughs) sheila does a great job of laying out the harm done and provides helpful reframes that promote the honor and dignity of women in marriage as a single woman i also found this helpful to root out any harmful messages holding over from that time so that i don't bring them into my own marriage i've recommended this book to my sister friends and clients Buy it. And we buy it. Just buy it. <laughs> so there you go. Thank you for joining us for the Bear Marriage Podcast. We will be back next week. We've got a fun one for you on how to tell if a book is helpful. We're going to have some actual practical tips. We're going to get you to get out books and do some exercises with us. So join us for that. Check us out on the blog as we are doing marriage on hard mode or trying not to do marriage on hard mode at mm-hmm. com. And as always, check out our orgasm course, The Great Sex Rescue, 31 Days to Great Sex, or just sign up for our email list so that you can get notified when there's other great stuff coming. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bear Marriage Podcast, and we hope you've enjoyed it. Sheila did just ask me to come on here and share that there is more context to some of the things discussed in today's episode that was not fully fleshed out in the audio version of the podcast, but in the blog post that accompanies this podcast, there is more context. So if that is something that you are interested in, please feel free to head over to the blog and check out that information there. Thank you again, and have a great week.